church leaders do act as science communicators and health policy advocates. You're studying scientists, basically, and you're studying the sort of the whole system that enables science to be done. Hello and welcome to Faith at the Frontiers, a podcast that confronts challenges to the Christian faith with hope. We're in the middle of our series in partnership with ECLAS, that's Equipping Christian Leadership in an Age of Science. Almost all the attention on science and religion focuses on the philosophical and theological questions raised by science. Few people take the time to look at the scientists behind the science and the pastors and church leaders behind the religious take on science. Dr. Toko Kamwendo draws our attention to the social dimensions of how science is done, produced and communicated to the ordinary public. Her research was done in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, a really fascinating time for asking precisely these questions. How do religious people understand the pandemic? Is it a punishment from God, for example? How do they respond to the science about mask wearing or taking the vaccine? This episode puts the ordinary human dimension back into the debate and reminds us of the social context in which all scientific and religious thought is done. I hope you enjoy listening. I'm really delighted to welcome for this series Dr. Toko Kamwendo, who's a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Durham and who focuses on the sociology of science and religion in her work. So, Toko, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So, could you just start by telling us a little bit about your research and what keeps you occupied in your postdoc? Yeah, happy to. I started working with the ICLAS project, so that's equipping Christian leaders in an age of science. I know you've talked to some other people on the project already. Yeah, we've right? talked to we've talked to a few. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So you know all about it. I don't need to go through it again. But I started working with the project about three years ago, and it was really to to spearhead the sociological strand of the project. You know, in wanting to engage with church leaders and in wanting to encourage them to engage with science, we sort of realized quite early on that we needed to know a little bit about how they already engage with science and what their views are around science, whether it's the relationship between science and faith or it's on particular kind of scientific topics. Yeah, I mean, Um, that makes perfect sense. Like, Many people, when they think about science and religion, they just think about the sort of potential areas of conflict and they think about it in a very sort of philosophical or like theological way. But there's a whole sociological dimension to it too, which is really important, especially if you're trying to assess how people actually view it on the ground in normal life. Exactly. And I think we also, you know, it's sort of, it's what it says on the tin, you know, it's equipping, equipping Christian leaders in an age of science in a way there's an understanding that we all live in a world where science is pervasive and that goes for church leaders as well right so it's sort of yeah. just like how do they yeah how do as they much as that? anybody else yeah as much as anybody else exactly yeah so that's what i've been doing for the past 3 years and still ongoing i've been doing interviews and surveys essentially the kind of traditional sociological methods if you will to find things out and it's it's been interesting. It's a little challenging, but 
I think the way to summarize it, to give you the headline, if you will. The headline would be a great start. (laughs) So sort of (laughs) tricky with this kind of research. But the headline would be, in fact, church leaders, Christian church leaders are in general very positive towards science. That goes for both ways to integrate science into their faith and vice versa. And it goes for particular sciences and scientists. There's a lot Mm. of, I see a lot of kind of wanting to affirm the work of scientists among Christian church leaders. That's brilliant. So the headline is church leaders are actually quite affirming of science and positive towards science. And I assume as a sociologist, when you say Christian church leaders, you're really talking about a spread of all different kinds of churches, different denominations, different ethnic groups, that kind of thing. I am, although you're right to call me out on this, Barney, because we, <laughs> we generally have a, we're um, ecumenical in our approach. So we do work with Christian church leaders of all denominations so far in the UK, I should say as well. So it's been geographically limited UK so church far. leaders. Yeah. yeah. But there, you know, as with any kind of research, there are always maybe, what would you call them, methodological challenges, perhaps, and challenges of access. Yeah. So, yeah. So for, for kind of contingent reasons, we have in we have done a little bit more work with the Church of England, I would say, than with other denominations. In the well, I guess it's also a bigger church in the UK anyway. So if you want a representative sample, there's going to be more Anglicans. Exactly. Yeah. So we saw that in our in early big surveys that I wasn't part of, actually, but we saw that, you know, the portion of participants from the Church of England was just much greater, I think, for, for again, for contingent reasons. But, yeah. Yeah. Is there any chance that the data is also affected by the kinds of people who would who are up for talking to ECLAS, who are interested in ECLAS or prepared to engage with your research? In in other words, like people, if somebody was really hostile towards science, is there a chance that they would just want to avoid ECLAS and not have anything to do with them? There is, there always is. And I think, you know, when you do this kind of research, you need some kind of buy-in for you, from your participants. Yeah. So, you know, if they are really hostile to either the topic or just the project for whatever reason, you're right that they wouldn't really speak to us. I think we've tried. So certainly the surveys and the online surveys as open as possible, you know, so that mm. it doesn't, and to really try to make it clear that there's no need to, Give you the answer that you're looking for, as it were. Exactly. Give us the answer that we're looking for or being, you know, generally positive or or know anything about science. Because I think partly that's also some of the challenges, you know, with with anybody. When you start asking, can I interview you about your views about science? Naturally, some of them are going to have the reaction, well, I don't know anything about science. So why would you want to do that? And so, you know, making it really clear yeah. That is not one of the criteria. But I also guess like people like their views to be heard, whatever their views are. So if if somebody who was a little bit more hostile towards science heard you say, oh, we want to hear your views, I, I, it wouldn't necessarily be a turnoff. They might be like, no, I want to tell you what I think. Because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So that's great to hear. So in the UK in general, church leaders are positive towards science. I assume that's good news from an A-class perspective. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think it is good news from an A-class perspective. I think the caveat is still and has been from the very beginning that this kind of po- generally positive attitude to science does not translate to a willingness to engage with science in public. So it doesn't translate to a willingness to really enter into discussions, public debates about science. And that's where we see right. real reticence. Yeah. I see. So it's a sort of more private positivity. Exactly. It doesn't translate into actual public action. Yeah. Right. So that's sort of the million dollar question, I think, for us is how do we try to make church leaders a bit more confident to actually talk about these things in public fora as well? Mm. And I guess that also plays into the question of whether there's a difference between the church leader's attitude towards science and the attitude of their congregation? Because there might be a slight difference, right? I love that question. I There, there probably would be. So part of the, the limitation here of, of what we're doing in our sociological strand is that we are focusing on the church leaders. So to see whether it's difficult for us to see where that difference might be, but intuition says that there would be some difference. And the question is, you know, what is that difference? But we have tried to ask some questions as well, I think, about how church leaders engage with science with their congregants or members of their congregations. So I asked a few questions actually around the pandemic. Uh, okay. Because, yeah. So I think for me, I mean, I, you could you could probably just do the maths. I started on the Eclas project three years ago, and that was, I would say, it was about a month after lockdown. Oh, wow. Oh, you started basically right at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so, so that puts quite a unique uh, perspective on your research, or that gives your research quite a unique angle, because suddenly it's about the Christian attitude towards the pandemic and then the COVID vaccine, as opposed to anything else that Christians are normally talking about and thinking about. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think I had to. I think, you know, yeah. honestly, as a responsible social researcher, the pandemic wasn't something I could ignore, especially not when we're talking about science. I think we still have a lot of work to do to figure out precisely how the pandemic and the ways in which we saw, in a way, scientific progress and the relationship between scientists and politicians and government Mm. and the church play out in real time, you know, in such a kind of high intensity moment in our own history. We've worked to do to figure out precisely how that's changed our views on science, but that it's changed our views on science, I think, is fairly straightforward statement to make. That's a very interesting thought. Myself, I had the feeling that, uh, especially around when the COVID vaccine was was first started to be produced, there was this sense that everybody was looking to science to be the saviour of the situation, mm-hmm. which is to a certain extent legitimate, but people were often ignoring the extent to which human behaviours, which have their own motivations that are often theological or or just ethical, 
can also make a big difference to how the pandemic plays out. It's not all about science. It's also about why people behave the way that they do, which plays into more theological and philosophical grounds. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, 100%. And I think that's what I found when I did the early research. I actually spoke to about 12 bishops in the Church of England. This was ah. height of the pandemic, so it was summer 2020 and October 2020. Oh, just after the second lockdown started, if I'm getting my dates correctly. Yeah, it all gets yeah. very muddled up, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. It was it a big like sort of traumatic blur, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's that's exactly what it is. But yeah, it was it was height of lockdowns, height of pandemic and pre-vaccine. Yes. Yeah. So I that that research, again, to try to nutshell it for you. I had very rich conversations with these bishops, so there was a lot of data for me to sift through. But I did find that there was an extraordinary agreement around how not to think about the pandemic. So I asked about narratives around the pandemic that they had found helpful and would draw on to understand it and to help their congregations understand it. And then I also asked about unhelpful ones, and I didn't guide them there. I just asked, are there any that you'd find unhelpful? And they all agreed essentially with some variation that the the idea that the pandemic is somehow a judgment from God was the most unhelpful. Oh, but did, did they find that that was a narrative that they saw around and needed to combat? So interestingly, there was also this caveat that it wasn't, which puzzled me initially but then I realized when you when I dug a bit deeper that that kind of was a, in a way, what it was was a distancing. So it was sort of like, I know that these narratives are around. They're not around me. They're not within my congregations. They're not amongst my friends. Or you know, it was kind of a very, it was like a way to. Oh, I see. Yeah. So each individual asking themselves, is this punishment from God? A sort of a hidden question that then the bishops sort of identify and feel they need to address. Yeah, I think it was interesting to me why it would be, on the one hand, a narrative that wasn't really around, and on the other, one that came to mind for almost all of them, unprompted, you know, yeah. And what were some of the, what were some of the more helpful narratives then? No, you're really putting me on the spot. <laughs> no, so, so the more helpful narratives, I think, were it was around Christ in the midst of suffering. It was things like lament. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Don't know, yeah, whether you remember. N.T. Wright wrote a book very early on as well in the pandemic that was quite focused on the notion of lament. And I don't remember that, but it sounds like something he might do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, I, I guess the idea there is that it's a healthy part of Christian spirituality to lament things that have gone wrong instead of sort of airbrushing them out or just sort of sweeping them under the carpet with the idea that God is good and he, he knows what he's doing, but actually to sort of give, give proper space and time to the negative emotions as well. Is that right? That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. yeah, the space and the time, the pause, yeah. I think, is what they were after. You know, can we, can we within this, take a breath, you know, to use the analogy, the very 
apt analogy. Yeah. yeah, and that does make some people uncomfortable because they want to rush forward to the reaffirmation that God is actually good and we don't need to worry and we just want to thank him and praise him anyway. Whereas exactly. sometimes you need to just pause on those negative emotions and acknowledge the, that they're real before you move on to that. Yeah, yeah. And so then after after the vaccine appeared your research was still going on so it's funny because you're you're doing this research and it's kind of a moving target there's stuff changing even as you're gathering the data right so what right. did you what did you find after the vaccine what sorts of interesting things happened in your research yeah so i actually moved so i moved from more interview based research to surveys after the vaccine and I included specific questions on the vaccine for church leaders who filled out the survey. So this was an online survey. I had about 175 respondents to this survey. That's a pretty good number. Yeah, I mean, I think there's at least signs of things in the, in the in that data. But yeah, I think for the vaccine, so I was just interested in whether, you know, they had, I mean, I guess as I was interested in their thoughts on the vaccine. I was also interested in, whether they had addressed the question of the vaccine in their roles as church leaders. Whether they thought it was a legitimate thing to take an official pulpit position on the vaccine, exactly. rather than just leaving it to the individual churchgoer to make up their own mind. Yeah. Exactly. And here again, I have to say the, the data is very clear. that There was nobody who opposed the vaccine there were basically just different levels of affirmation of the vaccine, different strengths of affirmation mm. to the point where some were literally just like I told everybody they had to take it. I would lose respect for them if they didn't. To some, a little some bit more strong affirmations, yeah, exactly. almost ones that might serve to ostracize or alienate somebody who had doubts about the vaccine. Yeah, so there was yeah. their. There was that there too, you know, some people had a little bit slightly more subtle, I suppose, approach to it, wanting to affirm it while also acknowledging, you know, the right to choose not to take the vaccine. But there yeah. was nobody who, who opposed it. There's a very clear kind of party line there, I think, and it was in line with government policy, which mm. I also find quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it raises a few questions about whether the church was just sort of blindly following what the government told it to there, which Christians might be a bit more wary of in other circumstances. I, I had a very interesting chat on a previous episode with Pastor Alton Bell. Do you know mm. him at all? Yes, a little, yeah. And he's a very interesting example of what a compliment to your research because he had a congregation who was very suspicious of the COVID vaccine, but he himself, after doing some research, decided that it was a good thing and he wanted to put quite some effort into persuading his congregation and similar congregations to take the vaccine. So we, we found there that there was a difference between the church leader's opinion, very positive, and yeah. the opinion of the congregation. But in that case the church leader really wanted to bridge that gap, like sort of close that difference. Whereas, as you say, some of them were not so interested in doing that and just wanted to keep their own views out of the pulpit, as it were. Yeah, and I think actually 
That's an interesting point because I think I see in my data a little bit of what you're describing with Alton Bell as well. I think it was an exception to the rule in some cases where really church leaders were not afraid of sharing their views with their congregants. That is not what I was seeing. And it's an mm. interesting case because, you know, in other in other areas, it might not be the case. So you wonder why, you know, the vaccine was was an exception here. Well, there was a certain sense of urgency, wasn't there? That this is like an immediate crisis and doing the wrong thing could cost many lives. So we need to take action right away. And there's less room in those kinds of situations. I think there's less room for entertaining multiple perspectives and viewpoints and giving space to dip people to come to different conclusions. You're like, no, no, this is the way we need to go. I'm going to take leadership and push everyone to go in this direction. Yeah, there really was. I also think just from a, from a kind of social scientist, just to get slightly nerdy, from, from we love nerdiness on this podcast. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. So I think I think it's also a, just an interesting case from the point of view of church leaders. This is actually what I'm trying to argue in a in a paper that I'm writing, like how church leaders do act as science communicators and health policy advocates in certain situations. I think this was one. And I think it's underestimated in the kind of policy area, the ways in which church leaders function as communicators. Yeah, the real effect they have on the popular views of, of ordinary church-going Christians. We did have an episode on ECLAS near the beginning, which was about the importance of having science in seminaries so that church leaders are trained right from the beginning to understand how to approach science and engage with it because of the effect that that has on their ministry as church leaders in, in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Has your work uncovered any, any insights about cultural ethnic differences in the approach to science within different ethnic church communities? We've sort of dipped our toe a little bit into this, but this would really, I think, be where we want to go in the following five years. So, okay. Yeah. So we're now starting a new phase of the project, which is the plan is to have an international focus and do international comparisons, but also to expand within the UK so that we do capture some of those differences that you were talking about there. Because I think it's really important, you know, again, for any kind of sociological research, but, you know, we, we're just simply not allowed to overlook the, the cultural and ethnic differences within a country, just as we are really not allowed to ignore the kind of ethnocentrism that sometimes happens when we only focus on our home kind of region. Yeah, and I mean, there's no denying that most of the science and religion conversation has been quite Western-centric, sort of white Western issue. And very often people have also said specifically Christian as well, although that, that complicates things a whole lot if you want to deal not just with different ethnicities, but also different religions and that kind of thing. I think we can learn a lot from broadening the types of responses to science or the types of understandings of how science and religion interact by looking at what different cultures, ethnicities and religions have done, which might be different to what white Westerners have done. Yeah, 
Yes. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is what it makes me very happy that there is now a, a growing community of, I mean, again, it's so new and emerging that it doesn't really have a name and maybe it shouldn't, but I tend to think <laughs> of it, <laughs> I tend to think of it as the kind of the social study of science and religion, right? You might want to say the sociology of science and religion, but I think yeah. that's a little limiting because there are so many other disciplines that feed into this growing kind of community of scholars. The social study of science and religion. Well, that, that is what mm. you do. So that you're sort of spearheading this new community. Why, Barney, I'm, I'm not sure I would say that. But <laughs> thank you. I, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there, there still aren't that many of us, but it is growing and it's great because it's precisely that kind of, I think, variety of not just regions or cultures or religions that you speak of, but also approaches to it that I think are, is really important. We don't want just the kind of very straightforward traditional sociological approaches, nor do we want just a kind of psychology of religion. Or, no. you know, we want that disciplinary variety and we want us all to speak with each other. That's crucial, I think, because yeah. at the moment some of that work is happening, but it's sort of happening in silos and that's not great. I see. Yeah. I mean, every discipline has important insights to offer and the sort of social side of it is perhaps a slightly neglected disciplinary angle that we can add to the conversation, which will bring its own insights and may even affect the way other disciplines approach the topic if they if they see what's actually going on on the ground. Mm, hopefully. Yes, that would be the hope. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Any other topics you want to bring up? Maybe could I just briefly tell you about the volume I'm editing? You're editing a volume. Tell, yeah. tell, me, about, tell me about that, yeah. Yeah, so actually speaking of bringing different disciplinary perspectives and giving some of those disciplinary perspectives away, um, I'm actually currently editing a volume on STS approaches to science and religion. So I'm a science, and I'm a science and technology studies scholar. Actually, my PhD is in science and technology studies. Okay. So that would be the so this sociological study of how science is made, right? Um, I see. Very briefly, right? So again, with the social study of science and religion, I think there aren't that many of us, and there are even fewer of us that come from science and technology studies to this field. And I think, you know, we, yeah, we could talk for a long time about why that is. You know, I think there's a slight sort of <laughs> strange reticence towards religion and engaging with religion in general from my home discipline. But long story short, we, those of us who do come from this perspective and do work on science and religion, decided that we wanted to put together a volume where we just talk about what it is that we do, give away our case studies, and try to maybe, again, draw out what might be particular about our perspective as STS scholars toward the field of science and religion. So I think that's a really exciting project that hopefully, you know, could be maybe the first of many such projects. I'd love to see more of that, where people who have a grounding in a specific discipline and do work on science and religion 
try to kind of share some of what what it is that's particular about what they do so that the rest of us can understand it and hopefully maybe make use of it as well. That sounds brilliant. So is there a title for this volume yet? I think the title is Science and Religion Approaches from Science and Technology Studies. It's one of those dry. That's what it says on the tin. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's brilliant. No, but I mean, it's it's you're studying scientists basically, and you're studying the sort of the whole system that enables science to be done. And of course, that's if we want to understand what science is, looking sort of behind the scenes at the scientists themselves and the equipment that they're using and all that stuff is a really important part of that, which can't be ignored, especially if we're depending so much on the results of science for the way we behave in our daily lives and the choices that we make. So that's a really, really valuable project. Thank you so much, Toko, for sharing with us and giving us a really, really interesting episode on how to do sociological research on science in a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Thank you, Barney. Thank you for listening to Faith at the Frontiers, a podcast produced in collaboration with The Tablet. If you liked this episode, then do subscribe to hear more like it in the future. For now, goodbye. Goodbye.